0: and how you're living, I suppose, and, uh, and, and how you take it. But uh, 1 John chapter 3, I've got some exciting news for you this morning. Jesus is coming back to get us. Amen. That's exciting news. I don't know what you expected me to say, but that, there's no more exciting news than that. He's coming, and I don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen someday and probably soon. And uh, that's an exciting, exciting thought. But that's what this passage here in 1 John chapter 3 is speaking about the appearance of Jesus Christ in the clouds. He's coming. He's coming. And it's going to tr- trigger the rapture of the saints. And, uh, you know, honestly, society will be just going on as usual. And the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the dead, in cr- the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. It's going to happen so quickly. That nobody's, you know, nobody's going to be prepared for it. As far as you know, expecting it to happen when it does. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse seventeen says, "Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." And can you imagine what the, what, what life is going to be like on earth when all of the saved are gone, or just uh, they're they're just they're there one moment and the next moment they're 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 gone, right? Uh, could you imagine if Jesus Christ came back? Uh, during a church service, and everybody's gone but you, you'll know what happened, and you're gonna say, "Oh man, I missed it," and I mean it's you know it's it's funny, but it's not gonna be funny for the person sitting there. You better make sure that you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. You better make sure that you know you're going to go up in the rapture. But but could you imagine an airline pilot knows Jesus Christ is the Savior gone. You know, they say that at any given point, there are 60,000 people above the United States in the air at any given point during a day. 60,000 people. Could you imagine if five of those airline pilots were saved? What kind of chaos that's going to cause? Imagine when, I mean, it's bad enough when everybody is in the driver's seat, let alone imagine what it's like when half the cars are without a driver. And you're going 75 miles an hour down the road. Could you imagine the destruction, right? Right. But the, you know, and, and they'll find a way to spin it. They do that with everything when it comes to the news, right? Oh, it was a zombie apocalypse, or, you know, I don't even know what the zombie stuff is. Maybe, maybe that's not anything, but, you know, they'll have a way to explain it away. They'll have a, well, you know, there was an alien invasion. We've been telling you about aliens all this time, and now there was an alien invasion, and half the people are gone. They'll come up with a way to spin it, but we'll know what happens. Jesus Christ is going to come back. While the world looks for us, we're going to be with the Lord. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, in verse number 1, Think about these words, wonderful, wonderful verses. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Think about that. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that he would call us his son. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Verse number two, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You think about that in in, in verse number two. One of these days, we're going to see Jesus face to face. And everything that you've imagined about Jesus, I can guarantee you, falls far short of exactly who he is. Now, could you imagine, you know, I've never wished to be blind But could you imagine being blind and the first thing you ever see is Jesus? The first thing you ever get to look at is his face, the one that died for you. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. But the Bible says there in verse number three, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We've been talking in the institute with the men about studying out different words and making sure you understand what the passage means. That word hope in that passage is an interesting word. It doesn't carry the usual meaning that we think of when you talk about hope, the feeling of, uh, uh, you know, that what is wanted can be had or uh, you know, the hope that an event is going to turn out well. It's not like hoping for a new car for your birthday or hoping that Brother Bill is going to finally come through and buy me that truck I've been asking him for. It's not like, you know, hoping for a raise at work or hoping that, you know, that that the mess at the office will will turn out right. That's when we think of the word hope. That's a lot of what we think of, you know, often. I hope that everything's going to turn out okay. That's not the hope that the Bible is talking about there in verse number three. That's not what this usage is. The born again people are not going around hoping that one day. They're going to be taken to heaven. We know for a fact that if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, then by faith we can trust that he's going to do what he said he's going to do and will be gone when the rapture happens. Amen. It means to anticipate, usually with pleasure, expectation or confidence, faith, hope. Every man that hath this hope, every man that hath this anticipation, every man that has this expectation or that confidence purifieth himself even as he is pure. The anticipation, the expectation, the confidence, the faith, that's what that word hope is talking about. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. You know why so many Christians are going on in life filled with things of the world? Because they're not looking for Jesus to come. If we were really expecting Jesus Christ to come right now, what would be changed in your life? What would be different? in what you're doing right now, if you knew that Jesus Christ was going to come back tomorrow. There's no expectation, there's no anticipation, there's no real confidence in their hope. I heard about a little girl who was listening to a preacher on the radio with her mother, and this preacher was talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, and and Jesus may come up today, may, may come today. So, she went upstairs, it was kind of in the afternoon, evening, she went upstairs, she took a bath and she put on her, her clean white dress and then she stood right next to the window. And her mom hadn't seen her for a few minutes so she went upstairs and she saw this little girl standing there looking out the window and she said, what are you doing? She said, well, the preacher said Jesus is coming back and I'm up here looking for him to come. And boy, if, if we just had that same mindset, if we had that same attitude, Jesus Christ said he's coming back, are we looking for his coming? Are we anticipating with expectation that he could come back today? When we were growing up, we we heated our house with wood. And uh, so Brian can tell you, we were always out cutting, splitting, chopping, you know, stacking wood. I mean, that seemed like that's all we did the whole summer was cut and split wood. And then all winter, we cut and split wood and carried it in the house. I mean, it's like we never had enough wood. But that's how we heated the house. And so uh, naturally, when you're supposed to be working and you're a kid, you're going to find ways to try to make it fun. And. Uh, wouldn't you know that we had four apple trees in our backyard that were there when we moved in, and they had never been pruned or anything. So the apples didn't, I mean, you could eat them. They were kind of sour. They had wormholes in them, and we were starving, so we did. But, uh, you know, when you're a teenage kid and you're looking for something to eat, you'll eat anything. If Even if it's an apple with a wormhole, you just eat around the wormhole. But the thing is, those apples were perfect as weapons. And so it, we'd, be, we'd be carrying wood or splitting wood, and somebody would throw an apple. And I don't know, you probably never got hit in the back with an apple, but it stings. <laughs> I don't even, it, it stings. And I'm telling you one thing, when you get hit in the back with an apple, you're not going to just let it happen, you're going to pick it up and throw it back, right? And that and next thing you know, there's apples flying everywhere. There was 10 of us. There was a lot of apples flying through the, through the air. We were supposed to be working, and here we are playing and throwing apples and everything else. And guess what? My dad always came around the corner. Not when we were working. Not when we were splitting the wood and chopping it and stacking it up and everything else. He always came mid throw. (laughs) Right? It's like where you come eye to eye and you're like, stink. (laughs) How do I get out of this? Back, my head's itching. (laughs) Right? That's. uh, But but that's when he came. That's. It's like it never failed. Right? Same thing when your mom told you to clean your room. And you better have that clean by the time I get back. And you got plenty of time until she shows up in the driveway and you guys are in the middle of making a giant mess, right? And now what? Now we're trying to rush around and clean it. And the same way as a lot of Christians treat the coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. And if, if we believe that, then we'll be busy working for him. We'll be busy living for him. We'll be doing what's right when he comes back. We certainly didn't want to see our dad then. There was no anticipation there was no eagerness. There was no, I can't wait to see my dad now, right? And, and we do the same thing with Jesus Christ. But There's only one thing that we need to do in regard to the expectation of Jesus Christ coming, and we find that very plainly there in verse number three. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Oh, how, how far do you go? How, how do you know when you're pure? How do you know when, when you've gone far enough and you're, you're living the, exactly the way you should? Well, he tells us even as he is pure. So I think we got a long way to go. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, then we would purify some things. And this morning I want to preach to you on this thought, when he shall appear. When he shall appear. And I want to give you five things that we would purify in our lives if we really lived as if Jesus Christ could come back today. Let's pray, and then we'll look at those things morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for an opportunity that we have to be here. I pray that you'd use this message in our hearts. I pray that you'd give me the words to say, fill me with your power. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that we would purify is our hearts. And that makes sense. You think naturally that if we're going to purify anything, our heart has to be pure. Jeremiah 17 and verse number nine was exactly the opposite of what a lot of people in the world has to say today. Follow your heart. Just, just do what your heart tells you is the right thing to do. That's, that's horrible advice. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse number nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? So why would you follow your heart if it's desperately wicked? Don't follow your heart, follow the Lord. That's what, that's what our job is. And so it takes a lot of time for us to purify our hearts. It takes a lot of effort for us to purify our hearts. Proverbs chapter four and verse 23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart is the seat of your emotions. That's that's who you are, right? I mean, you're not going to open up your chest and pull your heart out and clean it off a little bit and stick it back in there. When he's talking about cleansing your heart, he's saying, get get your life right with him. Out of the heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So how would we purify our hearts? Well, number one, we should be cleansed through salvation. Are you ready for him to come? Have you been saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or are you one of those people that when you go to sleep at night, there's a lump in your throat the size of a football because you're hoping you wake up in the morning because you don't know where you're going to be if you don't? That's no way to live. Boy, the Bible tells us that we can have that hope, we can have that expectation. When I lay my head down at night, I don't think about, well, I hope I wake up in the morning. Bring it on. You can't threaten me with heaven. What a wonderful thing that's going to be. If Jesus Christ came back in the middle of the night while I was sleeping, it would be the greatest thing that ever happened. I'm not worried about dying. I'm not worried about uh, spending eternity in hell because I know where I'm going when I die. I know who my Savior is, and I know that he'll do everything that he's promised to do. But those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior live with that uncertainty, and they're certainly not anticipating Jesus Christ coming back. They're not looking forward to that coming because they don't know what's going to happen when he does. They might be the one person still sitting in the auditorium when he comes back. And what a, feeling that's, what a feeling that's going to be. Because most of those people who are sitting in church that are going to be the, the couple that are left, are going to look at each other and they're going to say, the rapture just happened and we missed it. And if you miss it, it's too late. You can't, you can't catch the second bus in the rapture. There is no second bus. You, can't, you catch the rapture on the first time across or you don't get in on the rapture and you don't spend eternity in heaven. What a horrible, horrible thing that is. But you don't have to live with that uncertainty. You can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can come to Him for salvation today and know for sure that if Jesus Christ came back this afternoon, you'd be going with us. And what a wonderful feeling that is. We don't live by feelings, but it sure feels good. I can tell you that much. Have you been to Jesus for that cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb. That's how you get cleansed. You get washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that cleansing is for salvation. But also we find the cleansing through sanctification. Sanctification is that growing process after you're saved. Getting saved is the first step. That's the foundation. But if all you have is a foundation, you can't live on a foundation. You have to have a house. You have to build on that foundation, and that's what that sanctification process is. It's a time of, as the Bible says, going on to perfection that's spoken of in Hebrews. Growth in Christ is going to produce a clean vessel. As you grow in Christ, you're going to realize, these are some things that I'm doing in my life that I shouldn't be doing. I need to clean those out. These are some things that I need to have in my life that I should be doing. I need to put those in, right? I mean, you think about a a, a house right? If you decided, you know what, I need to, my house needs to be cleaned, I'm going to stop dropping crumbs on the floor. And you can try to stop dropping crumbs, but you're still going to drop some here and there. You need to add a vacuum cleaner, or, or at least a broom, so you can use it to, to help clean up the mess, right? So you need to get rid of some things, you need to add some things in there, and that's what that sanctification process is all about. But that sanctification comes through cleansing, and, I'll, and, then, and then turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. Keep your finger there in 1 John or put a bookmark or something. We're coming back to it. But if we believed, if we truly believed that Jesus Christ is coming back today, when he shall appear, we would purify our through salvation, through sanctification, and number three, through the scriptures. We'd be cleansed through the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 26 says that he might sanctify, talking about the church, and cleanse it, with the washing of water by the word. John chapter 15 and verse 13. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. When you get your heart exposed to the word of God, then there's going to be a cleansing that takes place. You can't read the word of God long. You can't sit in a message and listen to the word of God being preached long without it affecting you. Without it changing you. It's not that you plan it. It's not that you have to activate it. That cleansing comes from reading and hearing the word of God. If your heart is not clean, then I would say that you've not been washing it enough with the word of God. You get in the Bible, you'll have a hard time finding time, you'll have a hard time finding place in sin. You'll find sin doesn't come so easy anymore when you start reading the word of God and you start really digging into it and studying it. Did your mom make you scrub behind your ears when you were growing up? i tell you that mothers must think that that's the only place you ever get dirt. Because my mom would tell me that all the time. The back of your ears are so dirty. I would scrub them things until they were raw. And then she's like, your ears are dirty again. I'm like, I scrubbed it. I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> There's no ear left. You're probably seeing my brain, and that's why it looks dirty. <laughs> right? But, but that's exactly what the Bible does to us. It scrubs us. It, it, it cleans us. It, it, it gets into the places that, that it needs to, to get into in order for us to be clean before God. Turn over to 1 John. 1, because the word of God will cleanse your heart. We need that purification. If we're going to be pure, if we're going to purify ourselves, as the Bible says, then that's where we have to start. We have to purify our hearts. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse number 9, if we confess our sins, by the way, this is written to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need that cleansing. You're walking through a dirty, dirty world. You're walking through the muck and the mire and the mess and everything else that's going on around us. You need that cleansing. You need to have the word of God that cleanses us. Psalm 51, David in his, in his penitent psalm, if you will, said in verse number two, Wash me throughly from my iniquity. He said, cleanse me from my sin. If you were convinced thoroughly that Jesus Christ was going to come back today, you'd be at this altar this morning cleansing your heart. I can promise you that. We need to be doing that every single day. We need to be asking him for that cleansing. We need to be asking him, and and, and how do you know what needs to be cleansed out? How do you know what needs to be changed? The Word of God does that. If we were really looking for the Christ, we would purify our hearts, but also, number two, we would purify our heads. Turn over to Philippians, Philippians chapter one, and I'm thinking of the mind at this point. I use the word head so I could stay with the H this morning, because all the rest of the points fit right in with that. But Philippians, really, Paul, Paul deals with this matter of the head or the mind a lot in the book of Philippians. And o- over there in Philippians chapter 1, we see, first of all, that we have to keep our minds on the gospel. Keep our minds on the gospel. Paul spent so much time talking about that. In fact, in verse number 7 of chapter 1, he says, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, in, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Verse 12 have fallen out, these things that have happened unto me, have fallen out, he says, rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 17, but that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Verse 27, he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. I know that if we had made the gospel of Jesus Christ the one main focal point of our entire thinking and all of our efforts, it would purify our thinking process. If everything you did was with the idea of getting the gospel out, it would change the way that you think. If everybody that you encountered, you thought that person needs the gospel, it would change the way you think about other people. If, 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 if all you can think about is getting the message of the gospel out, it would purify your thinking. But then he goes on in chapter two. He said we need to keep our minds on our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Philippians chapter 2 talks all about that. And verse number 5 really kind of boils it all down there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you have the mind of Christ? If you had the mind of Christ, your mind would be purified. You would be thinking about the right things. Have you ever wondered what Jesus thought about or what he thinks about? I've thought of that so many times. Jesus was God, so he was, he was sinless, he was perfect. He, he could sin because he was all man, but he couldn't sin because he was all God. And what did he think about? You know, what, did he think about the way it used to be in heaven? Did he, did he th- what, what did he think about when he was on this earth? I don't know, but, he, but the mind of Christ is the mind that we're supposed to have, right? So have you ever considered what really went through his mind as he was being tried for the crimes that he didn't commit, and he knew he didn't commit those things? I wonder what he thought about when his, when his own people cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! What was going through his mind? But the mind of Christ is what we're supposed to have. If, we're gonna, if we'll force our minds to dwell on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done f- through the cross for us, it'll purify our hearts, our, our, our heads. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. If our affections are there, We don't have time for this down here. You can't split your affections. That's what the Bible makes that very clear in Matthew. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, you'll despise the one and hold the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't love both with all your heart, the way that he tells us to. You either love the world with all your heart, or you love God with all of your heart. There is no middle ground. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh. To fulfill it in the lust thereof. You get your mind focused on the gospel, you get your mind focused on Jesus Christ, you're gonna have a hard time finding other things to focus on that shouldn't that that are not right. And then we go into Philippians chapter three and he says that we ought to keep our minds on the goal. What's our goal? Get rich? No. Is it to to retire at an early age? Gain popularity? No, all of those things are are empty, they're vain, they're worthless, they're useless when it comes to the cause of Jesus Christ. We're talking about purifying our minds. Our goal should be to to what Paul spells out in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what our minds ought to be on. Paul says, nothing is going to detain me, nothing's going to hold me back, nothing's going to make me turn or alter my course. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, all these things, these, these are motivators for us, right? Why would, why would Jesus tell us about heaven and how beautiful it is if he didn't want us to go there, if he didn't want us to think about going there? Why would he offer us crowns if he didn't want us to try to earn those crowns, right? They're there as motivators, and he's, Paul has got his, his eye on the prize. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, right? And then chapter 4, I don't want to belabor the point, but he says we need to keep our minds guarded Philippians chapter four and verse number eight, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you are also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. How can Paul be so in control of himself? He has his, he has his thinking right. That's why verse 11 was no problem for him. I'm not speaking in respect of one. I've learned whatsoever state I am to be with, to, to be content. Why? Because he had his thinking right. He was dwelling on those things that he tells us we ought to be dwelling on. Make your mind think on the things in verse 8, and before long, you're going to have a purified head. Number three, if we're really looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ, and if you will, turn over to James chapter 4, we'd purify our hearts, we'd purify our heads, and number three, if we're really looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, we'd purify our hands. James chapter 4 and verse 8 makes that very clear. He says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Well, there's purify in both of those. Purify your hearts, but he's also saying purify your hands. Clean your hands. We'd put away the hands that hold the beer cans if we had pure hands. We'd put away the hands that hold the telephone while we gossip if we had pure hands. The hands that participate in evil deeds. We'd put those away if our hands were pure. Purified hands would pass out tracts. Purified hands would would take the message of the gospel and give it to other people. It would knock on doors of sinners. It would make our hands of service to God. Number four, I want you to see this. If we were really looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ, we'd purify our homes. Don't raise your hands this morning, but how many of you would be thrilled to go home this morning and find Jesus Christ sitting in your living room, looking through all the things that you have in your house? How would you feel if he turned on your TV and the last show that you were watching popped up for him to see it? How would you like for him to go through your DVD collection or your Netflix account and see the things that you've been watching? Would that be something you'd be fine with? Or would you have to hang your head and say, don't don't look at that? Let 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 me clear the history off of that for just a minute. How about if he sat down at your computer? Or picked up your cell phone and started going through it. Are you okay with that? Because if we really believed that Jesus Christ was coming back today, we'd purify our homes. There wouldn't be things in there that we didn't want him to see. The magazines or the books or whatever you're choosing to read and listen to and watch and all of those other things that you think are hidden. Okay, Brother Josh is a, is a computer guy. He could find stuff in the in the dark corners of your of your computer. Imagine what Jesus Christ can do, because he's already seen it, he already knows it's there, he knows exactly where it's at, he knows exactly what you're doing, if you really believe that Jesus Christ was coming back today, or could, your home would be pure, you wouldn't, you wouldn't allow your kids to be doing those things, you wouldn't be doing those things that you wouldn't allow your kids to do, see, would you welcome the idea of him turning on a hidden tape recorder and listening to your conversations? The last week listening to the things that you talk about listen to the things that you argue about would you have to change any of your plans for entertainment if you knew that jesus christ was coming to your house see the, the american home is in shambles the horrible news broadcast is just you know just a report of the failure in the homes of america The reason why this country is in the condition that it's in is because the homes have fallen apart. And the reason the churches are in the conditions they're in is because the the church is not doing its job to strengthen the home. (coughs) Strong homes and strong families make up strong churches, and strong churches make up the backbone of a nation. So when the home falls apart, the churches fall apart, and when the churches fall apart, the backbone of the nation falls apart. If we would purify our homes, what a difference it would make in our society. A purified home would not be a home where child abuse occurred. A purified home would not be a home where the dad was abusive to the the mother. A purified home would be a home where Christ is the head, where the Bible is the authority. A purified home is a home where the Bible is read and the Bible is memorized. A purified home is a home where every member of that home has a high regard and a respect for the other members of that family. Most people treat the neighbor's dog better than they tr- than they treat their, their family, their own family members. I remember uh, Larry Brown. Uh, some of you would know who he is. He's been an evan- He was a pastor for a long time. He's an evangelist now, but he preached a, a message called "Treat Her Like a Dog." And you think of the title of the sermon: "Treat Treat Her." He's talking about your wife. Treat her like a dog. And he said most people treat their dogs better than they treat their wife. You know how many times you go, "Oh, you're such a good boy, come here," and then you're hollering at your wife, right? Treat her like a dog. If you treat your wife the way you treat your dog, your wife would probably get treated a whole lot better than most wives are treated. But how does that happen? That happens when we purify our homes, when we let Jesus Christ be the center of our home. And here's the last one. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. I put this point last on purpose because I don't think it's anywhere as close to as important as the first four points. But it's certainly worth mentioning nonetheless because we find it in the Bible. If we're really looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ, we purify our hearts, we purify our heads, we purify our hands, we purify our homes, and lastly, we would purify our health. Romans chapter 12 and verse number one says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To purify our health means we ought to be eating right, taking care of our bodies. I'm not a health nut by any stretch. And I would never say that you need to cut out all the sugars or all carbs or whatever they say that you need to do to, to be the healthiest you can possibly be. I like food as much as the next person, and I can put away of my share of desserts and all that stuff. But I do believe that we should take care of the body that God's given us. Somebody said this, if I had known I would this long, I would have taken better care of myself. I'll be honest with you, I think it's less of a health nut issue and more of a Bible issue when we don't take care of our bodies. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. I'm not going to belabor this point, but I think it's worth mentioning because in Philippians chapter 3 in verse number 17, the Bible says this, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. There is no good in this body of flesh. And the Bible makes it very clear. It's wicked, it's evil, but I would like for the Lord to know that I have control over it and that I'm able to purify my health, right? The better your health, the longer you live, the more time you have and the more you're able to accomplish for the cause of Jesus Christ. I've seen a lot of pastors who are so unhealthy that they died at a young age and, 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 and were in the last few years of their life, not even effective at all for the cause of Jesus Christ because they didn't take care of their health. And a lot of church members fit into that same category. We need to take care of these bodies. You only get one. You only, you only get to live once. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So if you don't take care of this body that God gave you, the things that you're able to accomplish for Jesus Christ are going to be far less than what you could accomplish if you had taken care of the body that he gave you. Listen, I just turned 40, and it's like a switch went boop. And now I can't just eat anything I want. (laughs) I used to be able to. Actually, it started well before 40. But I'm on a diet right now. I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight because I realize that if I let it go, I'm going to end up dealing with health problems later on. I'm going to end up not being as effective for the cause of Jesus Christ as I could be. I want to present my body a living sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice to let my body run out of control. It's not a sacrifice to allow this body to do what it wants to do. My body doesn't like to exercise, but it's important for that to happen. All right now, what does Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8? For bodily exercise profiteth little. Oh, there you go. I don't need to exercise. It doesn't do any good anyway. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say don't exercise. If you read the context of the passage, what he's talking about is he's saying, but godliness is profitable unto all things. So he's saying bodily exercise compared to spiritual exercise is nothing. But he didn't say don't do it, right? And he, he just says that when it's compared to godliness, it isn't worth much. But it is worth something. It's going to allow me to serve God longer. There are a lot of people who say they could quit this or quit that at any time. I, I drink Mountain Dew. Yeah, I have a six-pack of Mountain Dew a day. But I can quit any time I want. Then do it. Right? Well, I smoke. But I can quit any time I want. Then do it. Yeah, okay. That changes things a little bit, huh? Well, I just don't want to. I don't want to quit. Right? Hey, you know what a good exercise is? Tell yourself no to something that is not bad for you even. Just, just to tell yourself no, right? You want that fourth piece of cake? <laughs> tell yourself no, I don't need to have it, right? Look at it and say no, I don't need you. My dad used to, tell, my dad used to do that sometimes, you know? A uh, mosquito would be on his arm, and I'm like, Dad, you got a mosquito on your arm? He's like, yeah, I know, it's fine. He can bite me if he wants to. <laughs> He's like, I got enough self-control not to scratch it after he bites me. I'm like, well, kill it at least, you know? So I would do the same thing, right? Let the mosquito bite you and smack him when you're ready to smack him and then just look at the mosquito bite. It, I mean, that's a silly thing, but it's teaching you to say no to yourself. It's a simple, simple thing, but, but here's, the, here's, here's where this comes into a spiritual a- aspect of that. If you can't say no to your flesh when it comes to food or junk or whatever else it is that you're putting into it, then you're a whole lot less likely to say no to a temptation when the devil throws it in front of your path, right? If you can say no, I'm not going to eat that because I'm on a diet and it's not good for me, then when the devil comes along and says, hey, this is this is your thing, do this, and you, you, it's a whole lot easier to say no. I've got control over my body. I've got control over myself. I don't have to do that. And it's, I mean, it is a small thing, and that's why I say this, this is the, I uh, uh, put this point last on purpose. But when you tell yourself no to that extra piece of cake or to that, you know, second helping of food or, or whatever it is, you're teaching yourself self-control. You don't have to get crazy about it, but you ought to purify your health. I think you can go overboard, too, you know. Uh, I'm not saying Lester Olof went overboard, but Lester Olof was a, was a, uh, was a, one of the most well-known preachers in America in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, the guy ate onions like apples, and then he died in a plane crash when he was 60. You know what I mean? So you just never know, right? But you can, you can go overboard and, and make a big deal about it and, and spend, waste a lot of money that you don't need to be wasting on that kind of stuff that you could be using for everything else. Blah, blah. I understand all of that stuff. But what I'm saying is you ought to think about it. You ought to purify your health. The, longer, the, the healthier you are and the longer you live and the longer you live healthy, the more you're able to accomplish for Jesus Christ. What does our text verse say back in 1 John chapter 3? 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 3. I want you to see it one more time as we close this morning. He says this And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Are you as pure? As God is in your life right now. I don't think anybody can say that. In fact, if you do, I'm moving away because I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want to be part of the lightning bolt that you get hit with. <laughs> not purify later, not should purify, right? That means right now he is purifying himself. Purifieth, okay, men, we talked about this. Purifieth is in the present tense. That means it's active, it's, it's happening right now, and it's continuing to happen. It's being done presently. Do you have that hope in Jesus Christ? are you you have that expectation? Are you looking forward to his coming? Are you anticipating his coming? You can't say that you are if you have not purified yourself. Have you purified your heart? Are you purifying your heart? Are you purifying your head? Are you purifying your hands? Are you purifying your home? Are you purifying your health? See, everyone that hath this hope, this anticipation, this expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back is purifying himself. Is that you this morning? Are there things that you need to purify in your life? If there are, then get them purified because guess what? Jesus Christ could come back today. I hope he does. I hope he does. But if not, what have you lost by being pure? Nothing. Nothing. He's coming back. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years from now. But I want to be ready if he does come back today. I don't want to be found with my hand in the air (laughs) guilty. I want to be found busy. I want to be found working for him. I want to be found with a pure heart. I want to be found with a pure life. I want to be found doing everything that he wants me to do. Everyone that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. When he shall appear, will you be pure? Will you be ready? That's the question for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. give we thank you so much for your goodness to us. I pray that this message was encouraging but also convicting. God, it's convicting to me. I, I, I want to be pure. I want to be right. I want to be holy before you. And I pray the same for every single person in here. And God, if we need to make a decision this morning that here's an area that I need to work on, here's an area that I need to work on purifying, God, I pray that you'd help us to make that decision this morning so that we can be what you need us to be and what you want us to be when you're coming back and so that we can anticipate and look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ with everything we have in us because we're ready for you to come. I pray that you'd use the message in our hearts this morning. Convict us, please, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As the piano plays this morning, the invitation is open. You can come.